Hi, folks, and welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Today, we welcome to the program Dr. David Shearbrun, Professional Services Veterinarian for Behringer Ingelheim Animal Health USA. Well, thank you for coming to the program today, Doctor. Well, thank you for having me. So Dr. Shearbrun graduated from Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine in 2008. He then spent a few years in rural mixed animal practice in the West Central region of Iowa before practicing exclusively beef production medicine for the next 10 years. Now, Dr. Shearbrun joined Beringer Ingelheim as a professional services veterinarian just last year in 2021. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to come by and then talk with us a little bit about spring and vaccinations, because that's really a topic that's very important here as we're coming into that grass turnout season, is it not? Yeah, it's, it, vaccinations in the spring are vitally important. When we talk about vaccinating in the spring, what's the whole point? You know, Especially in a cow-calf operation, what's the objective of vaccinating these calves and cows before they go out to grass? Yeah, so too often, I think, even producers, even as veterinarians, get caught up in doing something just as routine. So vaccinations just become routine. So when a calf is born, it is born with a fully functional immune system, but it's a naive immune system. So it can respond to diseases and vaccines, but it hasn't seen them yet. So the response isn't very good. So there's really not a lot of great protection there. So the purpose behind the vaccines is they get antibodies from the cows that gives them their temporary protection. The vaccines are stimulated, designed to give uh, protection long-lasting protection throughout their life against those diseases. Sure enough. So I guess the question then comes to a person, so if I'm a producer, what's my advantage to doing all these vaccinations then besides, yeah, the calf gets better immunity, but what's that mean in real terms? Well, it it all comes down to a bottom line, honestly. So preventing disease, that way you're not going to have sick cattle, loss of production. You don't need to spend extra money treating with antibiotics. Um, you're just you're setting them up for the rest of their life. I mean, the first couple months of that calf's life are vitally important for its whole life. If you don't get them started off right, the rest of their life is going to be a struggle, admittedly. I don't think we're just going to be talking about respiratory diseases and whatnot today because there's a lot of other things that cattle are challenged by, for example, parasites. And so when it comes to parasites, maybe we should talk about deworming here in the spring because that's obviously a time when calves are going to be running into parasites in the near future. Could you explain how parasites are detrimental to herd health? So parasites, obviously, first and foremost, everybody thinks about, you know, you think about external parasites. So you have lice and you can see cattle rubbing and, and losing production that way. But the bigger robber of production is is worms inside of an animal. So, you know, and that's one thing that we just can't see visually from the outside. If worms are a big burden, you see a loss of weight, loss of body condition, but they can definitely rob an animal of productivity even if they're not decreasing that animal's weight. So it can actually have a negative effect on the immune system, and they won't respond as well to, to vaccines if they have a high worm burden, and they just won't gain quite as well either. Even if they look fine, if their worms are there, it's still robbing energy from that, from that animal. It's very hard to measure what we can't see even though we know it's there just because you can't measure what what doesn't show up basically. Correct. And there's you know there's some tests we can do. We can do a fecal egg test to try to see what kind of a worm burden there may or may not be, which I definitely recommend if you're having issues with your cattle as far as weight and keep body condition on them. But even if you have a disease outbreak, that's definitely an opportunity to, to take a look and see if you actually have a worm or a parasite burden in those animals. Just to see if one of the influences that caused the outbreak to be so bad was actually internal parasite burdens weighing on the immune system. Yep. So deworming, then you could kind of almost look at it then as an investment in the animal because we're not only trying to help that animal stay healthy, 
but also trying to get more pounds on that calf. But if we're going to invest in the animal, obviously we want to invest smartly, we want to invest correctly. So how can producers get the most out of their deworming investment? Well, first and foremost, I definitely highly recommend producers talking with their veterinarian. Veterinarians know the drugs. They know what challenges they're facing in the in the local regions. I mean, they should hopefully know your herd very well and so they know what's going to benefit you the best. So that's definitely the first stop any producer should make would be talking with their local veterinarian. When you talk with your veterinarian, then are there certain things that you want to discuss with that person so that you're getting the most out of the conversation? Yeah, I think you should really discuss your goals for your operation, whether you're a seed stock operation, a commercial, selling pounds, but you know, kind of just describe the challenge that you faced in the past. And if you've used different products that that veterinarian might not be familiar with, let them know what you've done in the past for for deworming. And what kind of results you've seen and what kind of results you hope to have, basically. Correct. So another question I have is in regard to maybe the directions that accompany all of these products that we use, whether it's a vaccine or an antibiotic or a dewormer, all of those different things have directions. And you know how it kind of is sometimes. Sometimes it's, well, we just give it this way because we've done it this way. Yet they're on the label for a reason. So maybe could you comment a little bit on that about how really the importance of what is on the label and how we give these products really plays out as results in the animals when we see them in the field? Yeah, following label directions are first and foremost. So all these drugs, no matter whether you're talking about a vaccine, you're talking about a dewormer, antibiotic for that fact, I mean, they're all designed to be used in a specific manner and and to function optimally when they're given according to label directions. So if a product is supposed to go sub-Q under the skin, if you give it IM, it's not going to work as well, if at all, if it goes IM. And then not only that, but following the, the dosage levels is vitally important. So making sure you know how much your animals weigh and giving the adequate dosage. Because if you underdose an animal, whether it's with a dewormer or an antibiotic, that's a great place, unfortunately, to cause resistance to happen. And you just won't get the efficacy out of that drug that you'd really like to see. Absolutely. And I, I even think, too, about vaccines where some people think, well, it's half as much. If, it costs half as much per half if I give half the dose. But obviously, the vaccine's calibrated to function in the animal off of that certain dose. And it maybe it would be a good time to comment because I know I get the question of producers sometimes, well, why does my 200-pound calf get two cc's and my 2,000-pound bull get two cc's of vaccine X? How does that make any sense? Yeah, so all the the vaccines have been tested on animals, and that's the key to keep in mind. And so going back to label recommendations, a lot of the drugs, prescription drugs, will actually, and even vaccines for that matter, will actually have age recommendations on them as well. So they're tested on an animal uh, that's, that's cleared for that age of treatment. And that's one thing to keep in mind. But, you know, the way these vaccines are formulated, they're formulated to get optimal stimulation of the immune system. And so with an older animal that's probably seen a vaccine before, they don't necessarily need the highest load of an antigen that might be in that vaccine as the younger animal does. So just because the animal's bigger, they're going to respond better to that same antigen load that's in that vaccine that the smaller animal will respond to. So basically just because it's the same dosage going into different sized animals doesn't mean you're going to see the same immune response because the animal has a different reaction to that immune, Correct. that, Correct. that I mean, antigen. Yep. it's The young animals have not seen that vaccine before, so they need as much stimulation as they can possibly get. So they're actually probably getting more antigen 
definitely per pound than the, the larger animals are. No, that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate that commentary because I know that's a question people ask sometimes. Not saying there's a lot of people out underdosing on vaccine, but it is something that a lot of people wonder about considering we dose dewormers by weight, we dose antibiotics by weight, but we don't va- dose vaccines by weight. And it's the same way for people. I mean, no matter if you're a, a six month old infant or you're an 80 year old man, you still get the same dosage of vaccine, even people too. So it's the same. Same function in people as it is in animals. Absolutely. Immunology is not exactly as, as straightforward as one might think. Correct. If it was, then why would we go to school for eight years to figure it out, right? <laughs> some, some days, yes. Yeah, some, some days. days. Some days. <laughs> well, Dr. Sherburn, is there any other information that you think producers should have before they go out and work on their spring vaccination, uh, spring protocols, I should say, since it's more than vaccination with their herds? I know I mentioned it before, but just talk to your local veterinarian. They know your herd. They know what's going on in that, that locality, that, that geography, what challenges may have, have popped up in the recent past. And they might know what's happening on a national scale. I mean, as veterinarians, we're going and getting continuing education all the time to broaden our knowledge. And there's new products coming out all the time, too. So you don't have to have a long consultation with your veterinarian. Just give them a call, say, you know, is what we've done in the past adequate or is there anything else we need to look at doing this year differently? And don't hesitate to say the challenges that you've had in the past. I mean, if you had an issue with some respiratory issues last year, take that into consideration when you're making your vaccine uh, protocol for the spring. Well, Dr. Sherburn, thank you very much for taking the time to stop by the podcast here and work through all this mess of spring protocols with folks because there's a lot to it, but there's a lot of good that's done with it. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listening audience. Y'all take care, folks.